Welcome back to a brand new episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brennan Carrion. This is episode number 90. <laughs> and I'm joined today by Adam motherfucking Sink. Sink, what up, bro? How you been, man? I've been good. It's been a hot minute since I've been on. I had some audio difficulties, but I think I have them resolved now. So, you know, where hashtag you been, Mac OS, super stable. Dude, where you been? Where you been, bro? Mac OS, man. It's been giving me been all kinds OS? of heartburn. It's been giving me all there? kinds of heartburn problems with its oh. recording and everything else. But I'm back oh. now. We're good. All right. Yeah, all right. Somebody call Steve Jobs. Somebody get on the Ouija board and call Steve Jobs. All right. And we're also joined by one of the OG motherfuckers. Richie Buzzkill, what up? Not much, man. I'm just uh I'm just here in my my dark chateau de Buzzkill. Wow, uh looking at wow. my cyberpunk glasses what? and uh yeah, wish it. Who, who got it, you those it. shitty cyberpunk glasses? You did, Adam. They're awesome. Uh, oh, man. And I see them on all the Instagram cyberpunk girls. So I, I got uh, okay. You wow. could be we're one of those getting, cyberpunk girls. We are, we're getting into some weird territory here already. <laughs> so great, we're off to the races, Perfect. as they say. We got the uh, OG crew here, the three amigos. The uh, this is I like to think of this as like the New Mexican crew, New Mexican twenty nineteen, the road trip crew. That shit's like forged into our souls now forever. We ate the uh, chimichangas. We uh, stopped at all the restrooms. We uh, we uh, razzed Richie Buzzkill all the way there and all the way back. We uh, paid a heavy price on that trip. <laughs> yeah, we all did. We all paid in blood. It was oh, the man. nether regions of the soul. Yes, yeah, yeah. It was good times. Good times were had by all. Um, well, 2020 has stopped. The- well, it, yeah, you know what? I, I, and uh, RBK was telling me today that... Uh, it's the one year anniversary of him being on the show. Did you know that, Adam? I I didn't, but happy anniversary. Yeah, we were a couple of insensitive bastards. It's, it's happy anniversary, RBK. Thanks. I know. Man. I'd have brought you some flowers. I'd have got some <laughs> they're still in stock, but they're not. But that's okay. Yeah, I think okay. I think I think you've you've brought a real lot to the show. I think the show's better for having you, man. Thank you so much for being here and and putting like all the hard work and time that you have into the, into the show. And uh, I appreciate it a great deal. I'm certain the listeners appreciate it a great deal. Uh, thank you very much, man. I'm really happy to be here with you today. I'm happy to be here, man. Like it's it's been a lot of fun, and we'll keep keep on rocking uh, the RPG world, as it were. Hell yeah, fuck yeah. So uh, you know, usually we do a bunch of like uh, bloody blah stuff that I read off of a script lately, and uh, today I am in full on um, Brennan Carrion to gaff mode. I'm like just like fuck it, like let's do this old school. Let's do this like back in the day when like we totally gaffed everything, and we were just like let's put some fucking patches on the goddamn denim jacket and be like fucking role playing renegades or whatever. And I thought that was a cool idea, so we're doing that again today. And I got my uh, Michelob Ultra. What do you guys got? Anything? Yeah? Frosty beverage? I've got a little uh, Deschutes uh, Black Porter. I have a New Belgium 1985 IPA. It's got like a little skeleton dude with like some 80s gear on and a Cobra Kai jacket apparently. So, you know, whatever. I had an IPA earlier, so we are in in the right zone for some full metal RPG. Um, Nice. So, uh, since we're not doing any of the usual stuff, uh, the call-outs and blah, 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 um, we're gonna get right into the black hole, right? The time, the the place where time and money and attention just disappears, the the giant overwhelming force that uh that sucks it all into oblivion. 
aka role playing the black hole. So, uh, what you guys got on your on your agenda, man? Uh, what you guys up to? Uh, you know what? Oh, sorry, Richie. I know I gotta kick it over to somebody. <laughs> but since Adam wasn't here, I'm gonna kick it over to Adam. Adam, what are you up to, bro? What are you up to, bro? I've been trying to get a Dark Sun game off oh, the ground, and <laughs> it's just I don't think it's gonna happen. I might transition to Mutant Year Zero instead. We'll see. I mean, yeah, why not add want, some apocalypse? You didn't want that Mutant Year Zero Elysium book. I was like, hey, you want that Mutant Year Zero Elysium yeah. book? And you wrote me back. You texted me. Okay, I don't know what I'd do with it. It's right. Like, I was like, I was like reading that text. I was like, you'd probably run Mutant Year Zero Elysium. I mean, I that probably seems would. But seems sort of now, obvious what you would do with it. Now I might just run Mutant Year Zero instead. I might as well run some apocalypse during the apocalypse so that we can play the apocalypse during the apocalypse. Yeah, I, I, I just Go I dog. don't. Yeah, I just Dark Sun. I don't feel was compelling to very many people, and I have had people hit me up and go like, "Well, mutant, mutant would be fun." It's like, all right, well, maybe I'll run mutant again because I did run a very successful mutant game for a long time. So, dude, I feel like Dark Sun's like incredibly uh, uh, compelling people. In fact, I've actually had motherfuckers like in WhatsApp groups that like I belonged to, but be- be- that was not past tense that I belonged to. Right. Hit me up and they're like, "Oh, what's this about uh, Adam running Dark Sun?" Uh, and I go, "Well, bro, it is Dark Sun asterisk fourth edition." And they go, "Oh, <laughs> I think I think I think that that may be your issue, bro. It ain't Dark Sun. It's, it might be. Uh, it's the uh, that fourth edition that you got. You know, it's fine. This is all fine." <laughs> so so I, I might do mutant instead. We'll see. I don't know. I got to figure out what right. I'm doing. I feel like I haven't run a game time and I got that Jones and I got that itch and Oh yeah. Yeah. I like I wanna run Vampire Dark Ages. I wanna run I just wanna run something. I wanna get I mean, are you prepping anything, now. bro? Are you are you like prepping a game? I had Dark Ages Jerusalem prepped and then it was one of those ones where it's like, well, I don't really know how to find the people for it, so why don't you just like post it up on on the Discord or just even just say right here on the show like hey I need somebody like email me like I'm yeah feeling. maybe I'll do that maybe what I'll do is I'll throw it on the Discord and we'll see what kind of interest we get for some Dark Ages Jerusalem because that would be, be a lot of fun to run like what would be more rewarding to you uh, Jerusalem or uh, M Y Z Jerusalem I would like to run Vampire Dark Ages again I miss. Yeah vampire in like a weird way and fifth edition doesn't do it for me so i'd like to do some dark ages uh um daryl was talking about wanting to maybe run it or i know that rbk was saying he wanted to play it isn't that right richard for sure like i definitely want to play i don't actually said she wanted to play so yeah i think we have i think we have people to do this like and especially if you post up on the discord we can get one or two other people pretty quickly uh, All right, I'll throw it on the Discord. We'll abandon Dark Sun 4E. Hashtag Dark Sun 4E is dead. Um, it never really was alive. It was stillborn. Um, oh, so let's man. Go ahead and- Dark Sun 4E ha- has been um, an exercise in uh, gaming uh, frustration. Uh, I, I, I check out in on the little um, channel where you guys like make your plans every so often. And like right. uh, I just queue up yakety sacks before I, uh, <laughs> before I click on it. And then I read them while yakety sacks plays. That's a joke. I don't actually do that, but cold blooded <laughs> shit, man. Holy God. God. Damn. <laughs> God. Damn. It has that feeling about it. It's always just like, Oh man, what next? 
What next? Well, we what I'll say is hashtag accurate and hashtag hurtful. Oh, is so. it hurtful? <laughs> I'm just Sorry, bro. bro. No, we're fine. Bro. We're fine. So Dark Ages. Hashtag Dark Ages is the new thing. So we're gonna you, we're Adam. gonna run some Dark Ages vampires. Sorry, bro. Adam, I love you, bro. We good. Love you too. Love you. Yeah, we good, bro. I, I think you yeah, just especially with vampire, like just post it up and like set a time and a date when you want to do it, and then just like if one person shows up, you can still run them into the ground. Like, yeah. Unlike D and D where you need four people. Yeah. If one yeah. person shows up, I'll just be like, here, here are all the elders of the city and they're all lining up. So what are you well, going to do? I, th- I, I, I was talking to, to somebody who was it that I was talking to that, uh, uh, vampire is actually a game that's sort of uniquely suited for solo play. Um, it doesn't suffer for it because it is supposed to be personal horror, you know? Right. Sometimes it's hard to get personal horror with like four or five people at the table and you're trying to balance all of it and make sure that the gunfight is in there for the guy who likes the gunfights and the lore is in there for the guy who read fucking like Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand and has it memorized and all that shit. Right. But then if you really want to get like one of those like moments about like, oh, you're in a graveyard and there's fucking like autumn leaves on the on the grave and you push, push, push the leaves to the side and you see the name of your human lover. You know what I'm saying? And it's just, oh, I got plenty of, to say about vampire later when we get to the actual meat of the show. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just I think I think that solo is actually pretty good for that because, yeah, I mean, it's I mean, not really, bad. It, yeah, it is a game that doesn't suffer for it. But I would say you lose some of the political aspects of it when you run it solo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that gets into a real interesting question about like, cause is it a horror game or is it a play? Right. Is it a horror game? Is it a social game? Is it a political game? Is it all three? Sure. Sure. I guess you get get, get to pick and choose when you, uh, the smaller the group, the more you get to pick and choose. Right. Yep. It's true. Um, so, uh, so Richard, I know that I just just roasted Adam pretty hard, and he's uh, probably like putting my name on the kill list right now. So you probably don't want to tell us what you've been up to. But there's only one name on the kill list. <laughs> <laughs> it's my own. It's oh, my own. Uh, you know that, that's fun. That's, that's <laughs> hashtag funny. dark. That's funny, but uh, we both know. Now I'm not going there. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, RBK, RBK, what are you been to, bro? So like, I've actually we're 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 all kind of working on well i'm going to talk about one thing and i'm going to talk about another so i actually started reading a comic it's a comic book called die d-i-e which is is about the people that like go into the role-playing world yeah basically it's like the dungeons and dragons cartoon but moved forward with using teenagers in the 90s as the as the starting point Mm, kind of stranger things uh no, not really because the 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 they're teenagers kind of just in the prologue. So, okay, so right, like, fair enough. You, so kind of Jumanji. Uh yeah, so the adults the adults are dealing with this event where you know they couldn't talk about it for twenty years and then all of a sudden now they're back in the role playing world. So mm. it's 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 kind of uh, Chronicles of Narnia esque in a certain way, right? Kind of yeah. like Narnia plus role playing games. Uh, All right, I was trying to figure out how that worked. If it was like it or Narnia or what the and then and then it's like very works. dark, right? It's like bleak. Oh yeah, no, it's for sure bleak. Like like, like did did somebody die in the role playing world or something? Um, they they well somebody basically got lost there, so they came back and they were th- without somebody. So it's a, you know, that person basically oh. their their mother haunted all of them for this entire time, and now they basically been drawn back to that world, and he turns out to be uh, still alive, 
and uh, haunting. He's like, that's the like end of the first comic. So that's just, that's just <laughs> shit. But no spoilers. By the way, spoilers, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. But it's totally worth the read. I've read the first two trades. I'm actually caught up. I was I was shocked. I thought that there would be more. Um, well, the, you know, two trades is like 24 months, right? Yeah. So. And uh, so they they. It's 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 really good. It very much touches on like the '90s. Like these these kids are like, oh yeah, we're so over fantasy. We're we're all into vampire and cyberpunk and all this stuff in the early '90s. And then they're like, but then the game master's like, no, this isn't your regular fantasy. And then they're like, well, we're back into fantasy again. I was like, wow, I don't have that same thing every year so (laughs) (laughs) so it very much spoke to it very much spoke to me and they actually wrote a role-playing game based on it so that's free so interesting Interesting. yeah have you looked at the role-playing game uh i've got it up on my screen over here it's oh that's 145 pages i was like oh it's gonna be small no it's i have no idea i i I just kind of started glancing through it and i was like uh okay all right i'm gonna have to sit here and read that a little bit more but uh unlike that uh we started making characters for hit the uh hit the streets defend the block so yeah we sure streets. yeah so i'm in that game and so is adam i and, am in uh, that game what's your what's your take uh gm you're the gm on that so you get to kind of like hold forth gm style and <laughs> as and as much as i roast and i do roast motherfuckers you can roast me bro don't feel don't feel like i'm unroastable all do, right do worst yeah do worst so i i think first on the game the game book itself i don't agree i i, I think there's there's a solid game here but i don't agree with the the order in which the material is presented for making characters because it doesn't make any sense to me because like I, I come from the school of you make your human first and then you make a superpower person or, you know, like you make your human and then you make your vampire, whatever. And, and there's also some stuff you have to think about, like wh- what kind of, what kind of uh superhero group you're going to be. But that's like in the middle of the book and not the front of the book. So you can't kind of think, can't aim for it right away. So, I mean, yes, you could play a ragtag group of disparate people, but I like the idea. I like this kind of making a group that's on a theme. So I, I, I you know, obviously we, we the, the players decided to uh, make the most edgelord choice, which is uh, a, a toners. So they're all ex-villains. Um, <laughs> so I really like that. I think it's cool, but it's also like, oh, well, if I had to like read through those options and choose which ones we're going to do, it's like, oh, that one right there. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, I, think, I think we just got roasted. Uh, and, we did. We and, did. All the burn unit, bro. <laughs> burn unit. And then, uh, Brendan proceeded to make a character and then make another character. So, yeah, yeah, I didn't feel right about the direction that the character creation went because like and I think that you're really right about the way that the book's laid out. I mean, I haven't read the book, but um, what I will say is that I read a lot of comic books in the 1990s and usually there's a kind of tone to a superhero team comic, right? There's a tone to it. And I think that much like the conversation where you're like, oh, let's establish the tone of this game. Is it going to be lighthearted? Is it going to be? 
grim? Is there going to be a lot of like X card material? Like, is it not? I think that especially if you're going to do like a supers game, then you need to uh, establish what that tone is going to be. Are you going to be like Teen Titans? Are you going to be like some fucking Doom Patrol shit? Are you going to be like uh, uh, like uh, Defenders? These are all very different, and they feel very different. And the worst uh, superhero comics, like the worst superhero team comics that you read when you were like a teenager, were the ones where they just like took a bunch of guys and then like mishmashed them into a fucking book because they thought like. You know, they need to do something new with those characters. And then they put Wolverine in there because they know that Wolverine sounds Because <laughs> Hashtag know. West Coast Avengers. <laughs> yeah, dude, right? There were so many of them. Like, remember the new Avengers? And it was like Ghost Rider and Spider-Man and Reed Richards. And you're just like, what the fuck? Why would these guys ever talk to each other, you know? And, I mean, those comics suck. Well, let me it, explain to you why. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, they, they, you know, I think that the group an idea about what it is that they're doing before they start doing it or else everybody ends up on these really radically different pages and is it adam yeah no i get it it's it's a weird thing you definitely have that issue with superhero books where i mean the power disparity too is a big issue in superhero books or maybe it's not i don't know but like you know superman (laughs) and superman and batman are on wildly different power levels well that's, that's why i like that's why i like what they say in here is like okay, yeah, you can do some of this stuff, but you can't fly and money is not a superpower and you're, you're living in this neighborhood. So they're, they're bringing it down to the street level. They at least got that right. I think so for sure. Yeah. I mean, cause Bat- Batman is really a street level comic. Like if you look at fuck the whole fucking DCU, except bat family books, those are all street level books. And you could play that with this, uh, rule set. You know He's a billionaire who beats up poor people. Well, yeah, how I mean, is he street level? I, I, I get that, but he, you know, that he doesn't. He doesn't fly. He like he uses tools. He doesn't have superpowers. Him and Robin are basically just dudes who work out a lot. No martial arts, you know. Um, so you could play Bat Family with that game if you wanted to, but everybody needs to come to the table and be like, no, we want to do. We want to do a Bat Family game, you know. And that's and and that would be fine. I think Adam and I kind of were like, hey, let's do some weird supernatural shit. And it kind of became very kind of like indie vertigo, like pretty quick. And um, right. I mean, that's just like, I mean, that's like a really acquired taste. And kind of like, I was just like, I somehow, I mean, the next day I was at work, and I was like, I just really don't think Richard, when he was like picking this game up off the shelf and wanting to run it, that he was like, oh no, I'll run a cool little Alan Moore, John Constantine story arc. You know, I just didn't think that was going to happen. So, I mean, I, I didn't think that was your uh, your intentionality when you picked up the book. So I was like, well, I should try and honor your intentionality and like write a, a, a superhero that's a bit more kind of like, you know, an actual superhero concept, you know? Well, I, yeah, mine's still a little off the rails. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. If I need to rework it, I will. Yeah, I mean, my intentionality, especially because I, I kind of approach indie games as... My preps, I mean, other than reading the book and understanding what's going on with the book, my my intention with most RPG with most indie RPGs is to be like, okay, so the players are going to tell me what they want, and what I want to do is uh, first, like I told you guys, I want to explore the the game because I think it's an interesting game, and the second part of this is, I kind of want to see if I can take the disparate threads of these characters that know each other on their team and make an interesting story out of that. Um, I, 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 you know, 
I, I'm nowhere near as good as, you know, Alan Moore or any of those guys. So, uh, but I, you know, I'm willing to work with any, any kind of weirdness. So, but I do like this kind of gritty, uh, Russian ex Russian mafia guy you made too. So I, I really, Oh, think, thanks. Yeah. I think you were I'm feeling not- that guy cause you wrote a whole like par- couple paragraphs on him. So like, well, I, I spent the day at work kind of thinking about, well, if I was going to do something that's a bit more like a traditional superhero comic, kind of like what would it feel like, especially within the constraints of playing a, uh, like, what's it called? An atoner. I have to play an atoner. It has to be interesting to me. The powers can't be like insano. Like, what kind of stories would I want to tell? And I was like, you know what? Like, after I kind of just did that as a mental brain exercise, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of interesting character for me. And I would be very happy to explore what goes on with that character for six sessions or more, you know? Um, so that was way better than just being like, well, I know I have to like put a superhero on a character sheet, <laughs> you know? So I'm just right. here, I'm going to assign some numbers and shit, you know? Um, so yeah, I'm excited. I'm stoked for the game. And then Adam used, but I mean, like the thing about a superhero group is you can have one outlier, you know, you can have one that's like the very different, and that and that actually kind of works for the way superheroes work. But if you have a group that's just full of a bunch of weird shit, then like uh, it might not work at all. It might be the only. It might be a super odd, not be uh, work at all. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's it's a weirdish character, but I think it could work because I did some stuff to kind of ground it in a. I, I did some stuff to ground it, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Good. Good. Cool. And, 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 you know, so you and I have managed to talk about Richie's game more than Richie has. Richie, you want to talk some more? <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and we're, we haven't gotten to, we, we kind of had a, a short sessions session where we made characters. I, I think the really interesting part is going to be building the neighborhood because that's part of this game. Um, and, uh, I'm really excited about getting to know what you guys want, you know, cause everybody like basically places their, their the place they live and the place and like one other place in the neighborhood uh not necessarily where they work but just another place Ooh. in the neighborhood oh that's good to know cuz we're doing that tomorrow right yeah we're going to we're going to we're going to run that tomorrow and then we we everybody gets to put a street down so you get to put you know uh i get to put the first street down and i get to name it and that's main street and then everybody has to make roads that intersect with that street or that this one of the streets that's been laid down, and then we're also going to make a rival super super group. So cool. So that mm-hmm. you know, those those things are really exciting and really interesting. And I I I've been reading the um the neighborhoods that they put in the back of the book. So about three quarters of the book is actually the game, and then the last quarter is these uh, pre gen neighborhoods. Like Mark Diaz Truman wrote one, and a couple other neighborhoods so i've been reading those to try and help uh steer what we're gonna do tomorrow is just kind of how help. are they are they any good is it worthwhile i i think there's some cool stuff in there i i think they would be good for one shots in like a camp uh uh you know convention if we ever have conventions again oh we'll have conventions again um so is this book available for sale or is it like uh download only or is it kickstarter backers or what what's the deal uh, with that? well i backed it on kickstarter it's called, it's, i know it's it's, again? it's hit hit the street defend the block yes and uh i think i know it's i know the rp the pdf is on drive through 
I don't know where you can actually if you can actually buy a physical copy. I could probably. But if, you have a physical copy. I do right? have a physical copy. Yes. So so they'll they'll emerge somewhere. Yes. At some point. Most okay. likely, Indie right. Press Revolution or one of the one of the indie presses because it's uh, Rich Rogers from the Gauntlet wrote it and uh, it's the 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 publisher is uh, Orc Lord Games. Mm. Oh, that's, that's a great name for a publishing company. I love it. Yeah. Well, it, the, I think that's who put it up on on Drive Through, but it's Lost Highway Games is the uh, his his uh, okay. which is okay. I, which is a, that was we'll a lot. have them. We're going to tweak the dials on the simulation so that they can make that available to people. Right. That's so. a that's a. I think that's exciting because I think it's a cool game. Um, stoked to play. So we'll be playing that tomorrow. Great. Yep. Great. Hooray. Um, What's been going on with me is uh, still running uh, Esoteric Enterprises, and uh, it's still great. Uh, you and I, actually, Richard, we have a session of that coming up Friday. I hope you're going to be there. Hell yeah. Um, the uh, the Phoenix crew, uh, I think, kind of evened out a little bit on this, on session two and kind of started like coming into their own a little bit. And we actually had, I thought that in session two, we actually had some pretty um, interesting role playing that went on. And uh, you guys made some uh, some tough choices that uh, surprised me. And um and was and we're actually like pretty kind of dark, which is, which I think was cool because um, I think that there's a way that you could run esoteric enterprises that is kind of campy, you know? It's kind of yeah. it's, it's like it's like the corniest version of World of Darkness that you've ever run. Um, but then uh, what's kind of cool is that the players uh, seem to be steering it into the darker shit, which I love. Um, so I'm excited. Uh, it's been really fun playing that campaign with both groups because of the concept of emergent storylines where, you know, you use those tables in the front to do the dice drop and that kind of like creates the city for you to a greater extent. And there's just, when you, if you do the dice drop, there's like literally too much stuff to create before the game actually begins. I mean, you, it's like, it's like a novel worth of content. Um, just, dozens of factions and let's say like a dozen factions and like interconnected um, individuals and stuff. And it's just, it's just a lot to take on. So um, in the kind of like apocalypse world style, I drew a map and left blanks, but there were more blanks than there were when there was map. Um, And as we kind of got the ball rolling, it got me sort of uh, inspired and I added in some uh, of my own story twists that weren't exactly in the dice drop. Uh, and now you guys are creating the emergent narratives, uh, both groups are, that uh, are going to drive the city forward. And I'm like super excited to see how it goes because uh, I don't know. I mean, that game is just fun. I love uh, Esoteric Enterprises. And I love the two groups that are playing. Um, <clears throat> recent session with that was uh, with the Dungeon Punks group. And um, we got some spotlight time for some players who were kind of like took a back seat in session one. And like they kind of came to the foreground in session two, and uh, we resolved a story arc. It's kind of interesting, and both groups managed to resolve the first story arc in the first two sessions, which was pretty great. Um, and now, based on what both groups are doing, like uh, I just really see kind of the direction Elf is taking. And uh, I mean, I don't know with with like four sessions under under our you know belts here. I feel like it's one of those games that like the prep time on it is just very low because 
anything that I prep is going to be almost like over prep. I just need to have names and factions established so that people can start bumping off of them. Uh, what's what's your experience been in that game, Richard, since you are in that one? Uh, I really like the second session. I think we had to make some choices, and I think it's one of those things where we're the small we're the we're the small fish in the big pond and just trying to feel our way around because i i think at least for my character i was making decisions that was like look i don't want to be eaten right now i'm just trying to like survive right at the moment and and this makes two bigger fish happy if i make this decision so we're gonna I mean, that's not how I really phrased it in my head at the time, but um, I'm really interested to see where we go in the next session because obviously we did wrap up that one little story little story arc, um, if we did indeed. Um, I am a delinquent player, so I forgot. I haven't made my patron for my Mystic yet. Oh, bro, you got to get on that, man. So, I need that. I know, I know, and uh, I'll figure it out. Uh, I have Friday off, so let's, <laughs> let's... No pressure, but the the sooner I get it... I mean, it's one of those things, like, uh, on some level, the sooner I get it, the more I can start working it, working it into the game. But if you take your time on it, then maybe something will happen where you're like, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm going to riff on this, and that's also fine. So right. don't feel any any pressure. Um I'm, it's 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 interesting because I mean I don't know I shouldn't I shouldn't say too much on here because the Dungeon Punks guys some of them listen to the show and but there's some really interesting cross correlation that's happening between the two groups in the Living City already and uh, one of the guys one of the DPX guys was all like Brinton what up Brinton he was all like oh he saw like a plot line and he was like oh that's Brendan seeding the living the living game in, into the story and it was not it was not. But um, there was something else that the players actually did themselves that is kind of leading them like directly to your guy's door. And I'm just like, fuck, that's crazy. And it's crazy like how how fast on some level it may happen. So uh, that's like a very, very exciting kind of like innovation in that game. So a lot to look forward to there. Um, Again, if you uh, are able to get a copy of Esoteric Enterprises and you like the kind of games that uh, I like, I highly recommend it. It's uh, giving me like real role playing joy for um, the first time that this is the first time I've run a game that's just just really just kind of you know a kickback, fun, chill ass game, and it's just I mean, man, I'm having so much fun. Anyway, um, all that aside, uh, I guess we should get to the topic of the show, huh, guys? What do you think? Sure, why not? Let's do it. <laughs> why not? Yeah, let's talk about fucking role playing games and shit. So. Uh, one of the things that we had talked about um, doing was uh, kind of like a source book review. And, uh, you know, I mean, everybody has to buy the core book, right? Or at least, you know, some schlep has to go out there and buy the core book so you got rules. But then there's this whole kind of industry based around churning out source books. And uh, I think that we all have been around the scene long enough to know that some uh, books are gold. Uh, some books are fool's gold. And some books are just kind of like, irredeemable crap that you're just like my god i can't believe they you know bothered you know putting ink on the page for this one this was an all-around net loss for the economy um so like what goes into that like as as players as consumers of like role-playing media like what is it that we're looking for and what is it that we do with these things you know 
I collect them obsessively. I'm certain that some of our listeners do. I'm certain that maybe someone else in this conversation does. So uh, let's let's rap about it, man. When you guys go to the game store, what are you looking for when you're when you're going to pick up a source book? What's the what's the hot shit? Uh, I'm looking for uh, something that expands the world. If I've got if it's a you know core book, I'm looking for something that expands the world in an interesting way or allows me to play the game in a different way, like. I've I I've kind of I kind of have them classified as two different theories on what each uh, old school versus indie. You know the the yeah. The, the, I was gonna say your take is particularly kind of indie because you're essentially saying that a source book should be a hack in a certain way. Am I right? Uh, a, a little bit. That's most of the ones I buy nowadays. Uh, I mean, obviously, I I've got a plenty of Mutant Crawl classics. Uh, 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 modules sitting on my my shelf, the, but those are, I mean, it, it like you were asking like, well, is is a it, 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 everything is a supplement, but is a, is a are we talking about uh, modules? Are we talking about campaign worlds that are exp- uh, adding like, or are we talking about like, you know, I've got two very different books sitting right next to me. I've got the Fiasco Companion, which is basically just more base fiascos and then i've got chromebook one and two from cyberpunk 2020 which every single one of the items in the chromebook which is a basically just a catalog of items i could probably tell a story around like that's Mm, that's why i love that that chrome the chromebooks is not only is it that like shopping thing that that used to be a a thing that gave me you know uh chemicals in my brain which doesn't work anymore now i guess now that i have money it doesn't <laughs> when i was a kid that was that was the best like oh i could have that or that or that but now i can't doesn't doesn't yeah work the anymore. uh the concept of acquiring goods for your character it did seem remarkably compelling at a young age right and now it seems very tedious right i want less I stuff i want i want just like a katana and a trench coat i'm gonna walk through this <laughs> i don't need yeah, all right like sit, sitting there reading all these descriptions of the different katanas and trying to like look at the dice and figure out which one's like statistically the best you know like Oh, the price ratio and the humanity cost ratio and all this other shit. And you're just like, man, I don't give a fuck. I just want to fucking use the katana, right? Right. But the but the, these this this kind of catalog to me is very much like the ability to that item tells me something about the world. If the item does, if it's just another gun, okay, maybe it doesn't tell me much about the world. But maybe that gun does something unique that maybe I could. You know, I can now tell a story about any of the items in there. Like we can, I can literally center a, a session around that item, or at least use it as background footage, <laughs> B-roll to make the world seem more alive. And that's what I'm looking for. Is I want, I either need to make the world more alive, or I need to expand the game into a new genre, a new realm that wasn't in the base book. Interesting, Adam. You've been very quiet. What do you got, bro? Yeah. Listening to what Richard said, I want something that expands what I can do with the game that expounds upon some of the core concepts or presents something in a new light. For me, the the book that I picked out was Ghoul's Fatal Addiction. I know Chris Sack loves this book a lot. He's talked about it on the show before. Um, great book. Great book. And it kind of it came out during what was it was like a best of times, worst of times period of the World of Darkness, the ninety seven ninety eight era where you got 
Wild West, Werewolf, and Changing Second Edition, and Transylvania by Night. But you were also you also got like Aeon and Kindred of the East and uh, World of Darkness, Hong Kong, Demon Hunter X, uh, which haven't aged as gracefully. Um, but Ghouls brought something to the game that we hadn't seen before. Ghouls were always kind of this background concept in Vampire the Masquerade prior to this, where, oh yeah, it's the prince's ghoul, and he's just like a guy that you have to deal with, right? Um, Ghouls really fleshed out what the blood bond was and why it was so terrible, and the costs that were enacted in essentially enslaving another living sentient being to your will. Um, and then just the different clans approaches to Gouldom and the different sects, the Camry and the Sabbaths approaches to Gouldom and then Revenants and how all of that worked. And it, it really kind of opened the doors on a whole important sublayer and, and even maybe a more important sublayer of vampire politicking and how they interact with each other and how the world works. And I will say kind of looking through the book, it's much more BDSM focused than I had remembered it. Interesting. Um, just the art and a lot of the fiction and everything is there's a very heavy, heavy kind of focus on leather and collars and nipple piercings and that kind of stuff. Uh, but when you dig into it, it makes a lot of sense when you're kind of looking into how ghouls and revenants work and how their domadors treat them. And, you know, and, and you get into that whole thing like subs and doms and that kind of interaction between them and and the blood bond and how all of that kind of functions. What's what's kind of interesting is that um, the book that you've picked actually uh, meets both of Richard's criterion for a good uh, source book, right? Because on one hand, mm-hmm. uh, it meets the qualifier for what made uh, vampire books in particular kind of uh, like chaseable in the mid to late 1990s, which is that expanded the lore of the game world, right? Right. It gave you this insight into how um, things worked that you didn't really know, or you could have made up your own, but at that time, it seemed sort of like, you know, whatever they were, was coming out of the official typewriters had this kind of stamp on it that made it better than whatever you were writing, right? So it did that. But then it also kind of um, interestingly ghouls sort of hacks uh, vampire and creates a, a sub game, right? Uh, where you play the ghouls and um, that is a completely different game than if you just sit down and play uh, and play vampire the masquerade. And you can right. maybe, you can maybe bring one of these ghoul characters over to the vampire game, but it might, it, it's going to be very disbalanced. And then interestingly, that book changes the way you run masquerade if you have read it comprehensively and kind of internalized all the stuff that's in that book right yeah it definitely changed the way that we played and it it was kind of like a bomb going off in our group with regard to how things worked like year of the ally in particular was very transformative for us and how we played mediums um ghoul sorcerer yeah yeah uh, not so much kinfolk because none of those showed up but i mean oh, one of no my one favorite shit. right no one cared well we weren't werewolf guys but it's like it, it, i remember one of my favorite characters was a medium who ended up becoming a ghoul who ended up becoming a vampire right yeah like yeah. he 
he kind of transitioned along all of these paths. He was a medium. Then he got ghouled by a Giovanni. Then he became a Giovanni vampire. Um, and it was kind of just one of those journeys as a character that was very transformative and very interesting to play as a, as a player. I mean, when, when you, uh, used to play vampire, the masquerade as a GM, you'd be like, you'd have uh fucking, these ghoul characters in the background mm-hmm. and your uh the the way that the book kind of wrote about them is that they just sort of sounded like servants, right? Right. And so you'd be like, Oh yeah, this guy in a tuxedo walks in and he like takes away the drinks and you're like, Oh, he's the ghoul, he's the prince's ghoul, right? Mm-hmm. But then once you uh started once you got the ghoul's fatal addiction book, right? And you would be putting the dots down for the NPCs. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, the prince has five ghouls. And then you'd be like, well, shit, I got to think about who these people are. And I got to think about what his relationships with them are. And uh, well, and their relationship with each other, right? Exactly, yeah. Because they're all deeply in love with that prince. And they view each other as threats. Right. And, and how and does that interplay work? Once uh, that book came out, and it essentially like made it so that you couldn't just have like a robot. Mm-hmm. Your ghoul is like this robot that goes around and do, does shut for shit for you. Like people, people in my game stopped taking ghouls because <laughs> they were like, "That right. fucker is gonna kill me." Like I know <laughs> that if I put a, a ghoul down on my sheet, you're gonna essentially use that against me, and it's no longer a tool that I can use. And uh, so that that book intrinsically just changed the way that game was played. You know? Yeah, it definitely did. It brought a lot of life into those characters that they had never had before. Cause before they were just kind of like, Oh, it's a chud that I send off to do my business. And then he comes back and <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. good. Right. And yeah, now yeah, it's I've... just like, Oh, I actually owe something to this, to this being that serves me, be it blood, be it affection, be it whatever. There's a cost. It's a, so it was a ghoul one, ghoul two, and ghoul three with the t-shirts, right? And then, right, um, yeah. and then uh, it changed to, oh, this is uh, this is Stefan. He is my ghoul, and and if I don't treat him well, then he knows where I sleep, and he will kill me. Um, right. So I mean, that was a that that book. I mean, it's interesting that you chose that one because of all the source books I think about when I think when I just like look back on role playing in general, I think to myself. Was there any source book that like just changed the game as dramatically as Ghoul's Fatal Addiction did? And I, right. I, I, I don't know if I can think of one because I mean the the Ghoul houses in um in that were like very strictly uh, kind of like uh, articulated in that book had been alluded to in previous material, but they had never really been given those solid grounding rules. And then from that point forward, they were in everything, you know. Right, the, um, the the revenants, right? The Obertus, the Grimaldi, yeah, and the, yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry, yeah, the, yeah, the Xanatosa, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of inclined to be reminded of um, uh, rifts of vampire kingdoms in a certain <laughs> way because uh, rifts, vampire kingdoms. I mean, I know it is also vampires, and so everybody's like, oh, brand new vampires, <laughs> but um. I mean, Rifts, Rifts, Vampire Kingdoms is literally the first Rifts source book, right? And mm-hmm. um, if you read the original Rifts uh, core rule book, it's like, oh, yeah, Mega Damage is this special thing that only things like fucking tanks get and shit, bro. That's how you can tell the difference between a fucking tank and like a person is a fucking tank has Mega Damage, right? 
right. then like literally in the very first fucking source book, here's these goddamn vampires and they're like mega damage capacity creatures and they deal out mega damage and you're just like, wait, what the fuck? You know? So um, maybe that, I guess, was a source book that also changed the entire way that the game was played. However, um, you know, rifts so uh i don't think that that was ever a game that was super concerned with internal yeah well i mean all of the your allies books changed their core games right like medium changed wraith because in wraith the only real way to interact with the physical human world was these arcanoi that were either outlawed or incredibly difficult to use right and mediums could just talk to you they were human beings who could speak to you and could who who could help you enact your will on the mortal. Uh, sorcerer made <sighs> mage approachable for me. Like I, I never really liked mage. Sorcerer the was game. the year the ally game. They had a acolytes book. For oh, me. did they have an? Oh, yeah. all right. Well, sorcerer is the book that made mage approachable for me because I always had a hard time with mage until sorcerer came out. I always felt like sorcerer was the game that mage maybe should have been. I, I don't know. Uh, that's a completely different subject. I kind of want to yeah. bite on that, but I'm not gonna. Um, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff in there that's like very World of Darkness dependent, and I kind of want to bite on it, but I'm also not gonna. Um, you know, I chose a completely different source book, and uh, mine is also a vampire book. Uh, it is, uh, uh, I think, what's it? What the fuck, why can't I remember what it's called? I should have busted it out. <laughs> oh, Montreal by Night. Oh. I was like, did they have some fucking like dumb name for that? Because it was a Sabbath one, and they did not. They just called no. it Montreal by Night. And um, Montreal by Night is to me like the is because 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 William he was when we were talking in the in the run up to doing this that he was like, oh, is a setting book a source book? And to me, anything that isn't the core book is a source book, right? Right. Uh, that's just that's my definition, right? Um. And to me, uh, Montreal is uh, important because sort of it, it, it cleaves to what Richard said and that it expands my concept of what the initial is, you know, like it doesn't it doesn't change the way the game is played. There's no new mechanic or anything, but um, as a book, it gave me the most solid grounding as to how to run a vampire city that any of those damn books did. It was so funny because they, they, in, in Vampire the Masquerade, they wrote this this big core book, and they're like, this is what a vampire city's like. And then you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then they wrote a bunch of city books where none of the cities were like that, like at all. <laughs> and, and it was just like, it was kind of confounding until they got to um, uh, Montreal by Night. And in, in Montreal by Night, it was very obvious that whoever had written it like understood the Sabbath and how the Sabbath worked and all that shit. And the layout of the book was different. The way they organized the chapters and the um, information inside the book was different to address the uniqueness of the place. And they weren't trying to take an idea and like shove it into a format. They changed the format to um, hold the idea. And uh, I mean, I still bust that book out, flip through it, just in terms of in terms of art, in terms of storyline. Uh, the both superlative. And then, um, I mean, I know, you know it's like an edge lordy thing or whatever, but it's just it was the subject matter in it was like unbelievably dark and unbelievably complex. And I, I mean, I still like fucking twenty more twenty plus years later, I returned to that book um, as like a like a, a well of inspiration. You know, like it's like 
just like the cold glass of water that I need sometimes. You know what I'm saying? When I'm, when I'm planning a session, that's my thoughts. I, I feel yeah, like you haven't gotten to say much, Richard. Richard, well, j- jump in, bro. Well, I mean, you guys are, you guys are super deep with the, uh, the vampire stuff. I, I played it. I love it, but I was not, I'm not, I, I didn't play a lot of the stuff when it was coming out. So I played after I played a lot of second edition, uh, but we didn't use any of the other source books. We only used the base book, but we made up everything else. So it's see, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. That's like a great way to play. And you didn't use any source books, right? Right. Just the base book, and then we made up everything else we needed, and then that it it, it became like group. It became uh, group knowledge. You know, like that was that was how we were playing. Um, at least I know. Uh, the the storyteller that I, I played a lot with, uh, he ran a DC by night before that, before I started playing the game. But after that, like he basically started tweaking and hacking everything himself. So, um, it was, uh, we actually hilariously, it was, uh, it was called Salsita and it was a new city that was just South of Phoenix. That was the, that was the conceit of the, the campaign of the Chronicle was, it was a new city, so everybody was vying over resources, and there was some sort of mystical heart to the city that was, you know, had to do with the the Native American uh, heritage site that was there or whatever. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Adam Adam ran a uh, ran a uh, vampire game that took place in a um, like a fictional city too. I've never done that. I always run in a in a like a real world city but uh adam did a did a um fictional city also well i think it frees you up like but i i think if you have these supplements that are you know giving you that city then you can build on top of it if they're as well made as i know that those city the the city books like montreal chicago and dc right those are the three that mm-hmm. kind of held up or is or that's not the only three right or, uh, I, dude, I don't think. Yeah, there's a bunch. Montreal holds up, to be totes honest. Like, I know that like White Wolf seems to want Chicago to be this thing, and they spend a lot of money like making Chicago this thing. But I gaff it all over the place. What about you, Adam? The second, yeah, Chicago was weird. It, it had this. It reveled in the excesses of the early second edition vampire where it was like, Oh, there's these fourth generation vampires that are in Chicago oh, and there's yeah. multiple of them. Right. And, they're waging, and it was just kind of like, why are they in Chicago? Why the hell are all of these people <laughs> from like ancient Greece and Constantinople in Chicago? Why would they care? Right? Like, why would they be here? Mesopotamia. They're like, yeah, man, after all those like ziggurats and like inventing cuneiform and shit, decided to fucking move to Chicago and like listen to some industrial bands. <laughs> right. And then oh, so you got that. And then the other end of the spectrum is you get something like Berlin where they're just like, we're rooting this so heavily in world war two and we're rooting all of the vampires and like, you know, either Nazism or anti and you just kind of end up in this thing where you're like, okay, well this is actually an old world country. So why wouldn't there be some, I don't know, like, goth crazy figure here like some ancient really elder creature here anyway that all gets into the weird vagarities of the vampire source books of which 
the city books, there were a lot. There was LA, there was DC, there was Milwaukee of all places. There was uh, New England. There was uh, New York and they had a bunch of them. They just had a I ton of them and they were all over the place. I think that when they did the regional source books, they were actually better because they kind of diffused the storyline a little bit so that you could kind of like, again, like in that apocalypse world style, kind of like, you know, draw maps, leave blanks. Yeah. Regional anyway. source books were much more of a dark ages thing though. Right. Cause you had Iberia, right. you had, yeah. And but they and, were better is all I'm saying. They were better. They were, they were more interesting to read and they were better fodder for your imagination. Whereas, some of those uh, city books just felt like claustrophobic as fuck. Like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with it? You know, and this kind of, well, we can kind of loop this back to some more like general shit, right? Like mm-hmm. when you're buying a fucking D&D book and you're like, oh, here's uh, the fucking water deep box set. And it literally has every little fucking store like listed in it. And you're like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think you guys already had all the fun. I think a good source book uh, expands your imagination. Like doesn't it, it doesn't replace your to me. It doesn't replace what I am going to put out like le- a good source book. Uh, sparks my imagination. That's why I like the Chromebooks is because they spark my imagination. Like what part of the world resulted in this object being a thing, right? Or what part of the world uses this object? Can you give us an example of this? I'm having a tough time relating to this because I'm, cause, uh, like, I'm, I'm a very like linear thinker and I think like uh, what you're kind of pitching to me, I'm like, oh, it's like a black box game, right? And like, everybody's like looking for the special fucking street razors or whatever. Like, and then at the end, either get them or you don't. So kind of like, kind of like pitch to me, kind of like what, like, give me an example, kind of like, uh, you know, skit and scat a little bit. All right. Uh, I'm flipping through here and, um, well in, in the base game, right. It doesn't really, I mean, there's a diving suit that's like 6,000 euro, right. That, that the game doesn't, Anywhere in the base game doesn't deal with that idea, and I could I could be like, well, what what would this armored <laughs> diving suit, uh, ha- you know what what reason is there an armored diving suit? Like, it, it, mm, are they interesting? Do, are they doing underwater mining? Is it is it all the resources? Uh, I see. So that I sort see. of thing is like it's it, it's it's leading me like, what the fuck is this? Why is this here? Uh, maybe I see. So you're that, saying like the existence of the artifact communicates to you something about the world. If you extrapolate away from it. Right. So to have like an armored underwater diving suit, that means that there are hostile conflicts going on beneath the waves, uh, that use essentially like projectile weapons or something. Yeah. So what would those conflicts look like? And then how can I write a game that immerses the players in that? Exactly. Oh yeah. Okay. You're right. That's fucking rad. That is fucking rad. I did. I do. I do like that. And I, and I've never used the Chromebooks in particular like that. I'll, I will say that, um, I've probably been a bit more intuitive with things like vampire and pathfinder, uh, and using stuff like that and to kind of like um, reverse engineer into stories. But for some reason, whenever I play cyberpunk games, I'm very, I don't know, I'm kind of like, like uh, 
imaginatively like constipated and i'm like like i can't color outside the lines you know what i'm saying i don't know i don't know why that is uh, that's fair enough i mean like i actually i'm gonna i'm gonna think i'm thinking back to um uh johnny mnemonic the original s- short story <laughs> not okay not the okay. movie not the movie the sure. original short story sure. Uh, read it read it and and he's talking about when they expect you to go high tech you go low tech so mm-hmm. so like that's kind of the philosophy so i have usually for a cyberpunk character i have to have a philosophy behind that character so it yes you i can understand with maybe the person that you played cyberpunk with that coloring outside of the lines was difficult <laughs> uh but i like coloring outside of the lines or i like taking those lines and just color bleeding them out so <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i think that as a person i'm i'm like one of the least technologically sort of adroit people that that you'll meet right i'm like i have a hard time i need to have people explain basic shit to me like how to use my cell phone and crap like this so um running a game that's about like high technology is very um like uh it it puts me off it's i'm always like oh i don't know like like should i say that you can hack a security camera from a remote location like is that possible like would that be on some sort of closed system like would it be hackable remotely i don't know i mean i don't even know how people who design shit like that think like i don't you know i don't know how that works now much can i extrapolate on to how that would work in the future you know so i have a really tough time with that i think i like stuff that's a bit more fantastical because i don't have to think about like essentially like engineering you know like you and adam are probably like chuckling right now like no. <laughs> look at this look at this moran no that's understandable i think uh I think you could, uh, I mean, in, in cyberpunk, I mean, the secret sort of is it's, it's all kind of magic because who fuck knows how that the uh, neural interface actually works because it doesn't exist. So I, I recommend just like say what you want and then don't say sorry, <laughs> but I don't know, Adam, what about yeah. you? <laughs> Get your mirror shades. How is that what you're saying? Exactly. Listen up, you primitive screw heads. I don't give a shit what you think about engineering. This is how this works. Like, oh, and then man. I'm going to punch you. And, and that's, that's your favorite line. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't really feel the need to inject like real world engineering principles into a game. Because then you're just going to. I work with engineers all day. They want to get into dick swinging contests about technology constantly. I don't care anymore. I just don't care. Like, it, I don't know. Like it, it just works the way it works in the game world. Whatever. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You're I, I don't. I don't give a shit. Like I have so many. Well, that's not the way that Java handles. I don't. I don't care. I role play <laughs> to get away from that. I role play to get away from it. If you're going to come at me and flex on me about how technology works in the real world, this is versus my fantasy world. I'm not interested in playing that game. Well, here, yeah. we're, we're kind of like I play that game every day. It's called work. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Let's let's just go around and real quick name some like fucking shit ass source books that suck and that failed to meet our expectations for source books. Uh, Richard, what you got? You got one? I, I know I just made this up and you haven't had a chance. Uh, to yeah, I was gonna say all. like you just, just 
Go, go, do you have one that just jumps to mind? Say the first thing that comes to your mind. What's the shittiest source book ever? God, I, I think like uh, the the spell the any rules like in, any rules compendium, any fucking rules compendium. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Like that's so awesome. That, that, like here's a bunch of shit that we reprinted in a single book. Like fuck, fuck you. Or, or <laughs> yeah. the players' option books back in the day. Remember the or yeah, player Ooh, option books like players' handbook two, three. I don't give a shit. Like those, if if you can't stick those in with some kind of actual theme and something else, don't fucking print that shit. Wow, wow, interesting. That's a hot take. That is like a super hot take. I almost feel like we do a whole episode on just that. That's crazy. Yep. Um, all right, Adam, Adam, shit ass source book. What's the worst? Plotus, Plotus, whatever the fuck that one is called. That it's gives you no room. Oh, Tolus. To- Tolis, whatever. The one that gives you no room to decide anything for yourself. That's basically just that if they go here, this happens. If they go here, this happens. If they go here, this happens. This guy's name is Steve. Here's his back. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not interested in role playing your little hex crawl city simulation thing. It's not interesting to me. It's probably not going to be fun. And it's probably not going to speak to every group of characters that you're going to inject into it. It's basically just a here is a bunch of rails that you can ride on if you want to. Interesting. Interesting. Hot take. Uh, for me, it would be a Gilded Cage from uh, Vampire the Masquerade 3rd Edition. Mm. It's just like by the end of the original Vampire the Masquerade run, it had turned into uh I am undead and I have a job forever, the game. And here is a big source book full of lists of jobs that I could have. And uh, I mean, it's just like, it's it's like eating toothpaste. It's so like dry and calcifying in your mouth. And you're just like, <laughs> that source book on faith is also really shit. Yeah. Dude, that, it was, it was, it was, it was Gilded Cage, Council right. of Primogen, mm-hmm. and um, Faith and, is it Faith? Whatever one it was, it's the blonde lady like doing the yeah. prayer hands on the front. It's so bad. It's such yeah. an awful read. I think I own it, but it's yeah. so bad. <laughs> just, just, uh, just three books that are just, I mean, just so terrible. Talk about Man, three Kane's Chosen is also not very good. Yeah, well, Kane's Chosen at least has in it. You could like sit there and be like, I disagree with these ideas or I don't like right. these ideas. Yeah, uh, there's at least a few little like, nuggets yeah. in there. There's ideas in it, whereas um, I mean that was the one where they took the the black cannon and essentially decided to make it like a terrorist group or whatever, like right. to reflect what was going on in the in the world climate yeah. at the time. Mm-hmm. Which I mean is at least an understandable take. Uh, those those other three source books that we named were just like, let's take all the fun of vampire and wring it out, and then we'll just turn it into some banal shit. It's like the rice cakes of fucking vampire. Oh, unreal. I bought those brand new. Put them on the shelf so I could completionist. Don't own them anymore because fuck that. Anyway, life's too short. So, uh, Adam, Richard, uh, it's fucking rad talking to you guys tonight. I had a blast. Yeah, it was a good time. Hell yeah. Yeah, we should do this again sometime. We should do this again in a couple weeks. What do you think? Hell yeah. Sure thing. Let's do it. Great. All right. Uh, you know, um, thanks to all of our patrons on Patreon. Check us out uh, online. Come find us. We love you all. Thanks for, you know what? Aside from all that other shit, aside from all that like social media kind of like, hey, like and click and all that shit. Thank you for listening. You know what I'm saying? The show has been on for years. You know, we've said a lot of shit. You don't have to keep coming back and listening, but there's a bunch of you out there that do. And we love you. Thank you. You know? Thanks for listening to this episode and every single other one that you have. My name's Brennan Carrion. Have a good night. Ah. Hey.